Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. Hey there, it's Gary Parish. It's Wednesday, December 2nd, 2020. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black. Matt Norland is here with me, and I suppose we'll start with the Champions Classic. It was a doubleheader in different places last night. We'll begin with the first game. Final score, Michigan State 75, Duke 69. Norlander, I know you were driving home from Mohegan Sun during this game. Didn't really see it. So let me just ask you something in general. Were you surprised that the Spartans went inside an empty Cameron Indoor, led the entire second half at one point by as many as 16 points, and improved to 3-0 on this season? I'm not surprised they won. I'm surprised they were up by that many. I mean, I called you on the way home, and I think I just I didn't know the score, so I just blindly guessed, and my guess was Duke up five. And then you said Michigan State's up, uh, I think they were up 16, and then it, they cut to 13 at some point in our conversation there. So that, that did surprise me, but I don't think it's all that shocking that Michigan State won. Yeah, so I didn't see any of the game. I caught a couple of the highlights, um, and I, I I saw what uh, what Duke was maybe incapable of, of being able to do. But as someone who wrote about the game and who watched the game, uh, biggest what was the biggest takeaway for, for you in that? Because to me, what's interesting about both those teams, Rocket Watts apparently had a really nice game, and he's going to need to have a lot of those games this season to keep Michigan State in that top 10 conversation which it's in right now it's eighth in the polls and it's the it's the fourth highest rated big 10 team in the polls but it's still top 10 and then duke which is you know replacing trey jones it's gotta it's gotta figure out a few things i think at point guard uh which is fine we're still early in the season but as someone who saw it what were your biggest impressions of the game well, what's interesting about these two teams, two Blue Blood programs, Hall of Fame coaches, all that, they both lost incredibly important pieces. At Michigan State, it's Cassius Winston, Xavier Tillman. At Duke, it's the top three scores from last season's team, most notably Vernon Carey and Trey Jones. So um, Duke enrolled a good recruiting class, very good recruiting class. But as I believe I mentioned on an earlier podcast, this is the first time since 2012 that Duke hasn't enrolled a consensus top 10 freshman to replace what exited. You know, the 2018 class, for instance, had three top 10 prospects, RJ uh, uh, Barrett, Cam Reddish, and Zion Williamson. They've already got two consensus top 10 prospects in the class of 2021 set to enroll in advance of next season, Paolo Benchero and AJ Griffin. This class didn't have one. And though Jalen Johnson looked incredible in the season opener, it was against Coppin State. So 19 points, 19 rebounds, but it was against Coppin State. You play Michigan State, that's a level up in competition, and he only had 11.4 rebounds in in the game against Michigan State. Wendell Moore was 0 of 9 from the field. DJ Stewart, 0 of 6 from the field. Duke mm. had 9 assists and 12 turnovers. So whereas when we talked about I think both of these teams in the preseason, it was going to be important for players who were already in the program to have breakthrough seasons. And Matthew Hurt was good last night, but but Wendell Moore was not. And meantime, Aaron Henry and Rocket Watts, which were two guys that needed to to have bigger roles and be impactful. Um, you know, they averaged 19.6 rebounds, 4.6 assists per game last season. Last night, they combined for 34 points, eight rebounds, and seven assists against Duke. The bottom line, Michigan State's returning players that needed to break through were really good against Duke. Duke's two primary returning players, one of them was literally 0 of 9 from the field, didn't make a bucket. I don't want to say that was the difference in the game, but Michigan State did control it the entire second half. And though Duke was fouling and, 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 and making the margin closer at the end, Michigan State was never seriously threatened. And you just don't see Duke get handled like that inside Cameron Indoor 
uh, very often, regardless of the opponent. Now, a, a different Cameron Indoor, you know, the, the camera crazies are not there, but still, it, it, it was on Duke's campus, and, and Duke really wasn't that competitive in the second half at all. Yeah, uh, it seems like the setup in there, by the way, uh, pretty good for uh, just, you know, the general appearance and presence and all that stuff. I was expecting they would go, it just seemed that they would do the cardboard cutout to like the max in there because why not? It just seems like if there's going to be one arena in college basketball that really tries to replicate that, uh, that vision we've seen in other sports, it would have been Cameron Indoor, but instead they had that, I don't know, that tapestry and like photos and uh, of, of previous Cameron crazy. So whatever it was, uh, it was pretty solid there. This, by the way, with Duke, you know, I was vocal on the podcast about just skepticism over its top 10 standing. Uh, I still am there. Um, I don't, I don't, I'm not in on this being a Final Four contender, and I would say if you're a top ten team, that you know, if we want to draw a line, that's where I would. Not that they can't get there, I just would not consider them to be in that in that upper echelon. And uh, and a home loss to Michigan State, I I, th- I think kind of goes toward that. Duke's next game is scheduled to be Friday against Bellarmine, uh, which is a school that's new to D1 this season. Uh, and then it lost. I'm pretty sure it lost its game against Elon on Sunday because Elon went on a pause yesterday. Was kind of a Wacky and wild day for me, but I think I saw that come across my wire that Elon is on a pause. So they're scheduled to play this weekend. I don't think that game's going to be able to be played. Um, But we're a week out from another good challenge, basically, uh, provided that, again, both teams can play. They're going to play Illinois on Tuesday. And so if Duke can beat Bellarmine, get to get to two and one and then they play Illinois and they lose, then we'll have a real conversation about what they are and what they are in in the here and now. But to me, it was more about Michigan State winning the way that it was able to win. Tom Izzo's team, uh, you know, going in there, getting a good game out of Rocket Watts, good game out of Aaron Henry. Um, I'm, I, <laughs> my last thing on this, because I didn't see I just got to give it. I saw Andy Katz plenty in, in the bubble, and I think he's actually going back. He's got he's to do the whole process again. He's got to test in the outside world, produce a negative test, get there, test again, quarantine. But he's going back in. God bless him. But it, Andy Katz had just an, an unreal stunt last night. It was not intentional, but this dude posts a Twitter video at like 11:40 at night, and it's him interviewing Joey Hauser as the team's boarding the damn flight home. <laughs> like normally, like in normal times, he'll get an interview for you know the NCAA March Madness Twitter account or whatever for social, and it's you know it's in a controlled environment with a good backdrop or. Or, you know, just, you know, maybe uh, maybe in a team hotel room if they're staying over, which isn't the case here, obviously. But it's literally like Joey Hauser on the plane as his teammates are walking by. I don't know why I found it so funny. It hit me the right way. But, Andy, shouts to your hustle. That was just amazing. It's like just you and I have had to try and get interviews after games with coaches and players in the past. And it's usually obviously for the on the phone and not for video. But just the idea of, like, we got to get something for social. And they're like, you know what? We can give you Joey, but it's going to have to be on the team plane whatever shouts to you Andy Katz uh Joey Hauser now uh leading Michigan State in scoring Sam Hauser leading Virginia in scoring they both got wins on uh Tuesday night and uh, last thing I'll say on Michigan State um you know this is sort of what I wrote about or at least partly what I wrote about you know Tom Izzo is a Naismith Memorial Hall of Famer. He's won a national championship. He's been to eight Final Fours. Like his coaching legacy is secure forever. He has nothing left to prove. But when you talk to him, he doesn't think of himself that way at all. He actually thinks he does need another national title to validate his career. Uh, because I, I think only 15 or 16 coaches in history have multiple national titles. A whole bunch of people have one. Uh, when you get to two, you cut the list significantly. If you get to three, you the next person to get to three, um, and I guess Jay Wright would be the most likely candidate, um, you become just the seventh person to get at least three. So Tom really wants that second national title, and he's expressed that to me. I've never heard him fret too much about his career record against Mike Krzyzewski, but you know it's got to eat him up a little bit, if only because he gets asked about it all the time, like especially in this Champions Classic where um, they meet every, I guess it's three years on rotation. So he entered last night's game with a 2-12 and career record against Mike Krzyzewski, and so after getting his third win, and he didn't say, I'm now 3-12, and woohoo, but he made it very clear, like, okay, no fans, fans, whatever, um, we beat a good program, we beat a good team, um, I'm not going to put an asterisk beside it, and so um, he, he, 
it, it, it was just a, a little somewhat funny moment where he was like, I'm going to take any win against K I can get regardless of the circumstances because it is a thing, like a bullet point that gets brought up every time Michigan State plays Duke, Tom Izzo's lack of success against Coach K, as if that's a negative, like who has success against Coach K? Even K referenced this at a Champions Classic, probably the last time they played, when he would have been improved to 12-2 and two all time against Tom Izzo. Somebody was like, you know, your record now is 12-2 and two against Tom Izzo. And he was like, you know, you know, he didn't say this, but I remember – feeling like he was thinking it like okay it, can you name somebody with a great record against me because I'm probably like 12 and 2 about you know if I've coached 14 times against anybody I'm probably close to 12 and 2 against 90 percent of them so that speaks to the level of Duke's program and Kay's career more than it says anything about Izzo but Tom getting a third win against Coach K is something um, he wasn't going to apologize for given a lack of fans inside Cameron Indoor all right next game Kansas, Kentucky. This one was brutal. I mean, to be honest, like, it's Kansas and Kentucky, so we're going to talk about it, but there's not much to talk about. I mean, Terrence Clark and Brandon Boston have yet to hit a three. Kansas wins 65-62. A great game out of Jalen Wilson. He's probably the biggest talking point out of this game. But for Kentucky, you know, no fretting, without a doubt. Although I guess it is the first time Kentucky has started one and two under Cal, so that's mildly notable, mildly interesting, I guess. Isaiah Jackson uh, had an interesting game. He had seven points, twelve boards, and eight blocks. Like he's he he shows some good flashes there, um, but Kentucky, uh, you know, when Olivier Saar wasn't on the floor, it was an issue. Um, they have been weirdly inefficient around the rim the past two games against Richmond and Kansas uh, in terms of layups and dunks. Like, they've missed a lot of those those shots, a lot of bunnies there. Um, and, yeah, for Kansas, it was just all Jalen Wilson. Like, he had 21 second-half points. They win in a super ugly game. Cal even said afterward, he said, if I'm Bill Self, I'm absolutely thrilled because my team shot 24% from three and like 29% from the field. And we were able to get out of there with the win. So Wilson was a great deal there. Also, um, like Marcus Garrett looks physically ill and he was originally reported not to be playing from Bill Self, who, who taped like a radio interview. I don't know, X amount of hours before tip. And then Marcus Garrett approached Bill Self either on or when they were just getting on the team bus and convinced him otherwise. And he started and he played 35 minutes, but even Holly Rowe was like talking about how he was, Sick. So uh, that was just a weird thing. I don't know. Uh, hopefully he is going to be okay, and hopefully it's obviously not COVID. Um, only bring up that part because Kansas has played two teams that have currently active COVID cases with St. Joe's and Gonzaga. But he played on the floor regardless, and Kansas Kansas gets a win. It's two one one while uh, while Kentucky's one and two. Yeah. Now Marcus Garrett might not have COVID. It might he be it test- might be food poisoning. I don't I don't know. But it yeah. was just it was a weird dynamic. GP. That's he, well. He certainly has COVID symptoms. Even Bill Self acknowledged that. But he's consistently tested negative as recently as Tuesday before the game with a PCR test. So uh, that that's where we are right now. Like, what do you do? Um, people have made the point, and I think accurately, that if Marcus Garrett were in an office in any sort of work environment, even if he had tested negative for COVID, they would have sent him home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like if he worked in your office, if you work in an office and Marcus Garrett worked with you and he had multiple COVID symptoms, even if he tested negative as recently as in the afternoon, they would have sent him home. So it is somewhat controversial that he was in the game. And we'll just say here, same thing we said about Gonzaga. Let's cross our fingers and, and hope that it doesn't lead to an outbreak at Kansas or Kentucky, but that was certainly a storyline that was getting attention during the game. The biggest story, and and let me touch on Jalen Wilson real quick. I don't think we've ever said his name on this podcast. Uh, we might have said it when he because he was going to go to Michigan and he bailed. I think we I think we gave him a couple mi- quick minutes in a in a previous pod, but otherwise, so no. yeah, yeah, he gets twenty three points, ten rebounds. He has scored in double figures in all three games right now, averaging sixteen point seven point seven rebounds per contest. He's second on Kansas' team in scoring, first in rebounding. If you've never heard of him, the reason is probably uh, because he's barely played. He played. He appeared in. I think two games last season as a freshman and broke his foot in the second game or broke his ankle rather in the second game. And so they redshirted him and you know, he's a, 
top 55 prospect class of 2019. So he redshirted last year. He's now a redshirt freshman and looks like a real difference maker for Kansas so far. Again, second on the team in scoring, first in rebounding. The biggest story of the game for me, it was something you've already touched on, which is that um, for both teams shot it horrifically. Um, they were a combined eight of 42 from three-point range, which means they missed 34 of the 42 three-pointers they attempted. Uh, Kansas was five of 21 from three. Kentucky was three of 21 from three. Kentucky starters were 0 of 11 from three. And yes, B.J. Boston and Terrence Clark are 0 for the, their careers so far. Both shooting 0% combined, I think, 0 of 19 through three games. And Kentucky as a team is shooting 19.1% from three on the season. And this, I don't want to say drives me crazy because like, I don't, you know, whatever. But it, it just, I don't understand how Kentucky can annually enroll the best recruiting class or the second best recruiting class in the country and annually have rosters with no shooters. It's just like, 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 okay, they're, they're, they're shooting 19% from three right now. Um, last season, they shot 34.3% from three, ranked 115th in the country. Season before that, 35.4% from three, 114th in the country. Season before that, 2017-18, 35.7% from three, that ranked 124th in the country. Season before that, 2016-17, 35.3% from three. That ranked 155th in the country. In other words, each of the past four seasons, they've shot below 35.5% from three, never finished in the top 110 in the country in three-point field goal percentage. How can you pick your players every year? And like John, he doesn't shy away from this. He says, I remember when the G League program became a thing and, and they were asking John Calipari about, well, what happens if these guys that you normally get go to the G League? He's like, we'll just get the next best guys. Like we, he, in some form, he said the phrase, we eat first. Kentucky eats first when it comes to recruiting. We, we go to the table, we get what we want, and then everybody else can, can fight over what's left. So if that is true and the recruiting rankings for more than a decade now suggest that it is, how do you end up with no shooters every year? Like NBA teams actually construct their teams in ways that uh, that that surround stars with shooters. Like you're the Lakers. You're building a world championship team. We've got LeBron James. We've got Anthony Davis. Okay, let's get Danny Green. Why? Because he can knock down jumpers, create space. Um, you know, the, the Bucks will try to surround Giannis with shooters. Um, the Pelicans are now going to try to surra- surround Zion with shooters. Like, why didn't Duke surround Zion with shooters? And why doesn't Kentucky ever surround its lottery picks with shooters? I don't understand it. Uh, well, I mean, it's not that like they haven't had them, uh, but some of the shooting has been those players have blossomed more once they've gotten to the NBA. Uh, like, you know, Tyler Hero was a, a fabulous oh, freshman. And Shoot. Devin Booker was a good freshman. Uh, but they were not the shooters then that they are now. There's no doubt about it. I actually think that, it's an interesting question. I guess I, I guess I would say this because Tyler Hero was a highly regarded prospect who was also a shooter. Devin Booker, highly regarded prospect, also a shooter. What I mean is, get, get you want a sni- you want a sniper, yeah, yeah. I want I want BJ Boston and 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 Terrence Clark, and then I want somebody who doesn't necessarily project as an NBA player, but my God, he's going to make shots forty four percent of them and create space for B.J. Boston right. and Terrence Clark. That's yeah. what I want on that team. Just a, somebody who you you look at him and you go, okay, I don't know if that guy's a future lottery pick. I don't know if they ever play in the NBA, but he is perfect for this college basketball team. NBA teams actually pursue players like that. I'm not sure why at the top of the college game that hasn't been a priority yet. My... One theory I have on it is if you want to get that kind of player, um, you might, you know, you might need to look in the fifty to one fifty range. Uh, not that really great shooters can't be five star prospects in the in the top twenty five range. They can, but usually, uh, athleticism, physicality, scoring domination more than shooting accuracy 
put you into that top 20 uh, category. Again, there can be players that are great shooters that wind up there. But I think the kind of player you're describing is definitely in the four-star and then down into the three-star range. And when you're Kentucky and you're annually involved in the recruitment of 10 to 12 players, all of whom are five-stars or borderline five-stars, that's how you wind up in that situation. That's that's a first, you know, that's a hypothesis for me. I wonder with the transfer market opening up where that nobody needs a waiver anymore starting next season, like you transfer one division one school to the other, you can play immediately. I wonder if that's how Kentucky and Duke um, address that issue. Like, okay, we we're going to enroll our one and dones and our lottery picks. Now let's go find the best mid-major shooter in America and just say, Hey, mm-hmm. come play with our lottery picks and just knock down shots for us. I, if I, I, I don't know if that's what Kentucky and Duke would do. If I, and let me be clear. I, I, I recognize I'm sitting here questioning Hall of Fame coaches' approach to roster building. Like, I, I understand how silly that might seem on some level. But if you'll allow me to do it, uh, I would continue to enroll my one-and-done lottery picks at Kentucky and Duke, and then I would supplement my roster with – I would actually go look for the best shooters already established in college basketball, whether, it's, whether they're at the mid-major level or they're in the Big Ten or the Pac-12. I would go identify the best shooters in the country who are already establishing college, who, who I think I, are talented enough to be on the court for me. And I'd say, hey, come play with our lottery picks inside Rupp Arena. Come play with our lottery picks inside Cameron Indoor. I would look for shooters who are already established at the college level and take advantage of the waiver requirement no longer being a thing. Well, Terrence Clark, I'll, you know, the the, the – Five star freshmen in that game were, you know, uh, Isaiah Jackson looked looked solid. Jalen Wilson, uh, you know, a former uh, not five star, but a, a former was he a five star? I can't remember. But anyway, Jalen Wilson. No, Jalen Wilson was like fifty third in okay. the class of two thousand nineteen. He's four star guy. The point is, those freshmen look good. But I also saw a freshman. You want to talk about him? You saw Evan Mobley inside Bubbleville on Tuesday. USC beat BYU seventy nine fifty three. We'll talk about that next. But first, check this out. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Did you know that while over 60% of Americans dream of starting their own business, less than 20% of them take the first step? The reason? Building a business is tough. Taylor Brands is simplifying the business journey. From launching and managing to growing your business, Taylor Brands isn't just another tool. It's your online business partner from launch to success. With Taylor Brands, building your dream business becomes an effortless experience. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, ensuring you have everything you need in one place. From LLC formation to bookkeeping, invoicing to acquiring licenses and permits, and even setting up your bank account, Taylor Brands handles it all seamlessly. And our listeners will receive 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans using our link, taylorbrands.com slash Sports. That's T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A-N-D-S dot com slash CBS Sports. So start your business journey today with Taylor Brands. So you did see Evan Mobley inside Bubbleville on Tuesday, Norlander. For people who don't know, he is the likely one-and-done freshman at USC. Trojans beat BYU 79-53. They're now 3-0. and Mobley had 17 points, 11 th- rebounds, two blocks. He's now averaging 16.3 points, 9.0 rebounds, and 2.0 blocks per game, shooting 67.7% from the field, 667 from three on limited attempts 45.5 percent for the free throw line i don't know what's going on there but you tweeted and this is why i wanted to bring this up during the game like you've seen enough there's no reason (laughs) evan mobley doesn't need to be in the top three of mock drafts i do have him second and i think i might be the only person at least the only mock draft i've seen that has evan mobley second behind Cade cunningham heading into this season Uh, seven footer who is skilled I'm with you. Like, I don't, uh, unless you want to say, hey, listen, I just know 
his five best friends and they all tell me he hates basketball. Mm. Like, unless that's really a thing, I don't know what people don't love about Evan Mobley. So you were saying that you've got him behind Cade and you're the only one. Are you saying that the other ones have him number one or the other ones have him outside the top two? I've seen him as low as like five, six, seven. Mm. I, I think I'm the only one that I've, I'm the only one I've seen. I'll put it that way. That has him in the top two right now. He, uh, listen, he's, listen, he is certainly super enticing on the offensive end. Uh, seven feet tall. His build, I tweeted this as well. He's like 90% of the frame of Jaron Jackson Jr. When Jaron Jackson Jr. came out of Michigan State. He's, he's a little more slight, needs a little more, but, you know, very athletic. Um, defensively, there's still some, there's still, there's still some work to do. That was the one thing where, um, he did look, he looked a little bit drifty uh, at times during the game. Yeah, I wouldn't say outright loss, but uh, you know, it was also uh, watching on watching from, you know, right there on the baseline versus watching on TV. Um, sometimes you can get a better perspective on TV, but like he just, I don't know. He was aggressive and yet he let the game come to him. I did talk to Mark Pope, the BYU. Co- I talked to two perspectives here. One uh, before and after the game, I talked to Andy Enfield and. He said, you know, Evan is not his brother's Isaiah, who had a good game. About, you know, by the way, USC just killed BYU. I didn't see it coming. They just, they romped him 79 53. And I'll get to just real quick, I'll get to Pope in a second what he said about his team. But Andy said that Isaiah's, uh, Isaiah Mobley, who's now a sophomore, he's, he's got, he's got a good edge to him. He's got some, uh, vocal leadership qualities. Evan, you know, he's not that. He's just, he's definitely much quieter, uh, super respectful. And really good kid, and just kind of learning his way. Like you know, USC is a weird team, by the way. Like they could, they could slash should be a tournament team. Uh, what they did on Tuesday was certainly a, a statement. But this is like total hodgepodge of transfers, grad transfers, guys getting minutes that were on the roster last season that didn't get minutes there. So they, that's you know, Enfield even said this is like a. You know, we'll we'll see what we can do. I got to figure out the pieces here, but they damn did they come together and click. Mobley is is really, I mean, he's just super enticing. Um, he has a really good knack for uh, just. There's an ability with some elite players where once the rhythm of a of a design play breaks down, be it because a ball gets deflected. Or there's a there's an offensive rebound opportunity, or the defense throws something at you. There are certain players that can make something happen by pure instinct, and I saw that three or four times from Mobley on Tuesday. That just kind of reinforced to me that yeah, absolutely, he is that kind of guy, and he's going to be able to step out. He's only taken three trays so far this season. He's hit two of them. I do think that he will be the guy that will occasionally step out, and that's just going to further cement that he should be a top three pick uh, once we get to June. There, Pope told me that he was fascinated with Mobley because he he saw it in the game, and then he saw it on tape. He said he does not play selfish. He doesn't force anything. He is this super rare talent, and Pope's pretty qualified to speak on this, given his history as a player and as a coach. He said he's a super rare talent in that you normally don't get guys that are big men, like 6'10", 6'9", and, and up, that when they're a five-star, top-ten kind of guy, they don't press. They don't push the issue. They don't really try and make sure they get theirs because when you're a big, you're obviously relying on your playmakers. And so sometimes when you get the ball, you'll, you know, you'll kind of, you'll kind of grip it and try and make something happen. He said, that's not him. That's not Evan. From what I've seen, it is, he is, he could have his exact quote to me, I think was he could score six points in a game, be totally fine with it and be by far the most important player in the game. And that's the kind of thing well, one, I think that can be true. And two, that's why I think that he is going to project. Like, it's going to be a pretty good 21 draft class. And there's no guarantee that he'll go top three. He could go five. He could go six. But I think that if he continues to do what he did against BYU, it, it's going to be very hard to make the case that he shouldn't be one, two, or three in, in next summer when the draft is held. The other guy that is in that conversation for number two, perhaps even number one, is Jalen Green, who, of course, is a part of that, that G League program. But I just remember... You and I were in Vegas a few summers ago and we were watching Evan Mobley's grassroots team 
he played on the Adidas circuit. So we didn't see him that often, but we were, we were watching him in Vegas. And I don't know if we were both sitting with Mark Fox or I was just sitting with Mark Fox, but Mark Fox was there. Uh, Obviously former Nevada coach, former Georgia coach, now the head coach at Cal. And I, I can't remember the timeline. I, I feel like Mark was he out. Was out. Yeah, he, he was, was out. out. He was out. Okay, he, yeah. he was out. This is before he got the Cal job. But because he was out, and sometimes this is what coaches do in between jobs, is they will work grassroots camps. And, and uh, you know, they'll work in Adidas camp or Nike camp or Under Armour camp or whatever. And Mark had told me that he had worked with Evan Mobley at a camp. And first thing he said was, incredible kid. A- absolutely incredible kid. And Kevin Durant, future number one pick in the draft. And I know Kevin wasn't number one pick in the draft, but you get the point. Like Mark Fox loved him. And subsequent to that, the only question I've ever heard anybody bring up, and I don't know whether this is true or not. I'm not that close to it. But people have have wondered, does he love it? Like he's clearly got the skills to and, and frame and all of that to make $100 million, even if he doesn't love it. Like that's the thing with a guy like him. Even if he doesn't love it, he's going to make $100 million. But does he love it? And is he built to chase greatness? That's the only question I've heard. But if you can answer that question with a positive between now and the 2021 NBA draft, I, I, again, I'd have him in the top three somewhere. He's, he's a special, special talent. Yeah. BYU, uh, wasn't competitive at all, which was, which was a stunner, but we'll give them a, give them a little more time before we evaluate the Cougars there. They're actually 92nd at, uh, at Ken Palm. Um, so they're, they're, they've kind of dropped a bit there. USC could place UConn in the bubble. I will not be there. I have left. Uh, that's on, that's on Thursday. But on that note, just real quick, I did have a story that went up on Tuesday that kind of, I, I tried to assess what has been done and what's still going. They're not done yet. Knock on wood. They got to they gotta still get this done for another four days here. Um, but I will say, well, actually, before I, before I just do my little thing here, GP, from the outside looking in, just, you know, whether it's taking in the games or just frankly, you know, uh, my, you know, we've been in contact. So my reports or our discussions or anything from, you know, Goodman and Andy Katz are there, the coaches, just your general perceptions as someone from the outside looking in on, on what they have been doing and are, and are still doing at Mohegan Sun? It looks looks good. It, it seems to be going well. You know, I, I do think appearance is important. You know, the way it looks on television. You know, the best way to get lost in a game and forget we're in a pandemic is for Marcus Garrett to stop coughing and yep. for, for us to not see a bazillion empty seats. And that's, I, I thought you mentioned this earlier. I thought Cameron Indoor looks great. It, it, it looks great on television. The thing in Fort Myers, I thought actually looked good because they just had a big drape. You don't see empty seats. To me, yeah. that the empty seats are a reminder this isn't yeah. normal. But when you don't see the empty seats and you do hear the fake crowd noise, it sort of feels like a real basketball game. The NBA figured this out inside its bubble um, down at Disney World. And I, I, I think whether it's Mohegan Sun or Cameron Indoor or Fort Myers, so far, so good. Now, it's going to be interesting when we start watching, you know, teams play games on their campus in their normal arena when their universities didn't invest in trying to make it look like anything other than an empty arena. It, then, you know, that'll be – it'll just be something it, – it'll just be what it is. But I prefer – when it is dressed up to some degree and um and i think it makes for a better television product the kansas kentucky game looked like they broke into the joint and just decided to play like it it looked it looked sparse that was uh that was just not again cosmetically i I 100 percent agree with you by the way there was something there was just something weird about kansas and kentucky will i assume it's going to be the exact same thing um for the Jimmy V, which which will happen tonight um, with uh, Illinois, West Virginia. Now, now what some I've, I've noticed on television yeah. is that s- some games are being shot, it appears, from a higher level or more straight down so that you don't get the normal crowd shots that you get when you're watching the game just go right to left and left to right. Yeah, that'll be uh, – yeah, I, I, I'm with you on that. Okay, so with uh, – just, you know, a, a wrap-up uh, from my experience there. You know, 
it was I was ready to go yesterday. Eight days in, that was I was I was good. I was good. And in fact, um after Villanova beat Hartford, uh Jay Wright was kind of talking like because they were leaving. Villanova was finally leaving after they they unexpectedly uh played four games there. But he was mentioning like, you know, Kyle Lowry talking about being down in the NBA bubble and uh, you know, it was amazing that it was put on, but it's, it's undeniable that, like, from a mental perspective, like, it is legitimately trying. I, I went eight days. I could have gone, like, another three or four if you asked me to. I cannot imagine, and I don't know exactly what the setup was with uh, with ESPN and Disney and all that stuff. But just, you know, just living out of a hotel room for that long, I mean, that's just, it's unreal. Um, they, what, what they have been able to do at Bubbleville to this point has been impressive. Um I did learn a couple of things in the previous like 48 hours. I think are worth sharing that I think people should keep in mind going forward because what I think is going to be happening pretty soon here, if it's not already, is conference commissioners, athletic directors, and obviously coaches because every single coach – I talked to almost every single coach that, that coached in this with the exception of – my apologies. I didn't get to uh, Jimmy Allen at, at Army and Danielle Marshall at Central Connecticut State. I didn't get to catch up with those guys. Shame on you. I know. Might be. I'm not happy about it. I'm not happy about it. But every other coach, I wasn't – like, in a lot of these instances, I was not even setting them up with a question. It was them offering, like, how great is this? I wish we could play five games here. They just felt as though, first of all, like, yeah, it can be a little trying to stay in a hotel that long. But, like, the idea of, like, you're in your hotel room – you get a security escort to take the service entrance, go through, go through, um, take those esc- elevators down, and then like you're in the gym, like you're not getting on a bus. It's just you're right there. There's almost like a, a good comfort to that. So the coaches are all in on this. But what I learned that is important, and, and not that this can't be replicated elsewhere. I think they're going to try, but you know we are in the middle of, and you know the the pandemic is getting worse by the day. Now the vaccine is on its way, and that's great news. It it appears as though those most in need in this country are going to get their first dose of the vaccine later this month. This is wonderful, wonderful news. But for most everyday Americans, that's not going to be the case. So the COVID case counts are going to continue to rise and swell throughout December and then into January. So because of this. It's expected that conference commissioners will look into trying to do something similar to what's been done at Mohegan Sun. Their hand might be outright forced in the state of California, where right now Stanford, San Jose State, and maybe one more team. I think it's just Stanford, San Jose State, and the 49ers. They can't even play in their county anymore. So they might have to move immediately and very, very soon. But these state health departments, they're stretched thin because they they have to use so many resources for the general public. And so where Mohegan Sun has the benefit is since it's on tribal land, it has its own health department. It has its own statutes. Um, it has some of its own governances as the way a lot of this uh a lot of this works with tribal lands when they belong uh, to Native Americans. So because of that, the organizers at Mohegan Sun, they essentially needed communication with the Mohegan Sun health officials and Hartford Healthcare, which also outsourced the testing, on a daily basis and sometimes hourly basis to check in on big things and small. You can't realistically ask a, a state health department or, or a certain county's health department to do that, to play regular season college basketball games. It is go- it's, the NCAA tournament's a different deal, and it's not that this can't be done elsewhere, but I think that is the biggest thing I learned that I really wasn't clued in on that people need to remember where you see what's gone on in Bubbleville, and it's been amazing that every single person that cleared quarantine to this point, again, knocking on wood, they got to do it for four more days, Everyone was was continued to test negative afterward, and they were testing every other day with saliva tests, which, by the way, are super easy. And I, I can't rave enough about how much how easy that was. But if you want to try and do this and get games in from a league standpoint, which I think might be a borderline necessity for some of these big conferences, parish, the location of them will be interesting and could prove challenging. Just as a complete hypothetical, like if the ACC decided we're going to do this and we're going to try and do it in Greensboro the amount of effort that would have to go into getting local health officials dedicated to doing this while understanding that within that state, people are getting sick by the thousands, dying by the hundreds on a weekly, monthly basis over the next you know, two, three months, that is a tough ask. So it's not that it can't be done, but 
the amount of time and effort that went into, and they're holding a total of almost 30 games. I mean, it's not that huge of a number, but they are from teams all across the country. So just just keep that in mind. I, I basically had almost no complaints. My biggest complaint was they started playing Christmas music the day after uh, day after Thanksgiving in, in the casino. I was like, come on, that's what, this isn't necessary. Otherwise, it was, it, I mean, it's it was it was great. And the mask stuff, you know, it was the first time I've had to, I know plenty of our listeners have had to need to have needed to wear masks on a much more frequent basis than you and I, because we work from home. We, you know, if we put on a mask, we're going to bring our kids to school or go grocery shopping. But I, I was, I had to wear masks at some points if I wasn't going back to my room for eight, nine, 10 hours, GP. Um, but they've done a great job. They're almost, uh, they're almost through and the reviews have been like kind of across the board positive and the players I just last thing here I know I'm going a little bit long but I was I was I was in there eight days um and I did write a story on it I'll link it in the podcast preview if you want to read it I mean these players they just they were thrilled to, to get to get a chance to get out there and play games um they've been aching for it I mean Villanova before its first game Colin Gillespie like leading the pregame huddle like you would have thought they were getting ready to go out and play an elite eight game it was uh it was pretty cool, pretty intense, and and I'm glad I had the opportunity to cover it. My personal prediction is that the Big East. I don't. This is not learned intel. Um, I know the Big East has been in contact with Mohegan Sun, but I do think that the Big East will go to this, and it will try and get games in at Mohegan Sun in sometime in January or February. The, 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 I don't know why you wouldn't, other than cost. I mean, like cost if, if is the big did, thing. Can't do it unless you have TV. By the way, that's the last thing. Because a couple of people, like if ESPN didn't broadcast it, it's. Super hard to pull off. You need the TV element to actually make this uh, achievable. Right. But, like, it's just, I don't want to say it's impossible. It's not impossible, I don't guess. But it seems problematic to be trying to fly, you know, Creighton to Seton Hall and Marquette to St. John's. Like, just get everybody in one place and let's play every other day and knock this thing out. Like, it, 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 it. Again, I understand it's more complicated than we are going to make it out to be on the Ion College Basketball Podcast. But if it's possible to do, I, I guess this would be my prediction. Um, if you don't do it, you will at some point wish that you 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 might have. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. No, yeah, go ahead. All right, so it's Wednesday, eleven forty-five Eastern right now, and we've got a, this. Like, I think yesterday was probably the best most interesting day of the season so far we've got another interesting day on tap now i don't want to preview the games too much because like the title game of the maui invitational which is texas in north carolina did you pick texas to win it by I, the way okay i did pick texas to win it so we'll see what happens there right and i, I, got, I, I got major issues with this though like we're not gonna listen plenty of the people are listening to this podcast after this game is, is played or literally like when it's about to play so we like we don't want to waste our time i just i i got a beef like we don't have NBA counter-programming. This isn't in Maui. What the hell, GP? Are you with me or what? The title game for the Maui championship should be the last tip of the day on the Wednesday. What are we doing here? This is so stupid. Well, I'm assuming it's because they've got Jimmy V doubleheader tonight. You're also, you're also right about that. <laughs> okay, I still hate it. I still <laughs> okay. hate it. The last I know the listeners are with me. The last game in Maui should be the championship game, but they clearly put that because we do have the Jimmy V. It is. I think Tuesday was... Slightly better this day, but these are cl- clearly because with Thursday and Friday are eh, they're not that great. So these are clearly the two best days of this young season. Right, and yeah, like we're not going to preview the games because a lot of people, I would assume, most people probably listening to this on their drive home from work, and at that point you've already missed. I mean, at that point you already know who won the Texas North Carolina game that picked you know it tips at at four p.m. Eastern, but we do today. Get number 17, Texas, against number 14, North Carolina. Both teams undefeated. Then at 7 Eastern, we get number 11, West Virginia, against number 1, Gonzaga, in the first game of the Jimmy V. And then the second game of the Jimmy V is number 2, Baylor, and number 5, Illinois. So there's three really big, high-profile games tonight. And can we talk about the story of the Maui Invitational so far? Uh, you know you know, we're going to. Yes. It's Shaka Smart's hair. It is Shaka Smart's hair. Now we were aware of the Shaka Smart hair situation weeks ago because he, you know, he popped on the occasional Zoom, and so you know the images started, they started leaking out, like you know. But once this, this is the game changer. Like now they're playing on national television day after day, high profile games, um, and if Texas beats North Carolina, like I don't know if Shaka Smart's getting a haircut before the end of the season, like because why would you, like? 
Texas with Shaka Smart having hair, way better than Shaka Smart bald. Undeniable at this point. It's not even close. And I don't, like, if we'd always known Shaka as Shaka with hair, then maybe Shaka with hair, like, it's like, whatever. It doesn't look as great. But, like, to go from bald to having a great set of hair, like, most people can't do that. Most people go, most people are bald because they're actually bald or they had balding problems. Like, like you? I'm bald. I'm, yeah, like me. I'm bald now. I went from having ridiculous hair to now I'm bald, but I didn't just decide, you know what? I feel like I'd look great bald. I was just like, I'd rather, honestly, here's exactly what happened. I was watching a replay of a basketball game that I happened to be sitting courtside at. And the camera was shooting down on my bald spot. Now, keep in mind, you never see your bald spot. And so I'm watching it with my wife and I'm like, oh, my God, is that me? Is that my head? And she was like, she just really. And I said, is that what my head looks like? And she's like, well, yeah. And I said, well, what? Why didn't you ever tell me? That's what my head looks like. She's like, I didn't want to bring it up. <laughs> She's sweet. But I, I, once I realized I've got this gigantic bald spot, like what is the point of having spiky hair and a big bald spot? So I was like, all right, I'm just, I'm done with it. Shaka actually has a great head of hair. I need to figure out why he got rid of it in the well, first place. I think he's place. got like a little widow's peak going on. I think that might be why. I, but I don't. I don't know. I don't know. By my the man, way, my, my man looks like Zach De La Roca. Uh, I'm going. I'm going like John Turturro. Actually, I, I'm thinking. But I hear. I, I listen. Zach De La Roca is certainly in the job. But I feel like Turturro is. He's kind of. He's he's drifting into that realm because there's a little. There's a little gray in there, but it's it's how, absolutely wonderful. I got a couple. How, how could you look like Zach De La Roca and then decide you don't want to look like Zach De La Roca? That seems crazy to me. Quit it now. Quit it now. <laughs> that's, that's right. Quit uh, it now. So you got on Texas, they got just a wonderful follicle situation going on. And then uh, from what I can tell in the Carolina stuff I've watched, I think Roy, unless, unless you can prove me otherwise here or state otherwise, I think Roy Williams has the best – mask discipline of any head coach in college basketball right now. Does it seem like that? Like I haven't really seen to have caught Roy pulling it down and screaming. Cause I'll tell you this, like for as great as they did in Bubbleville, and this is around, I mean the chin strap and then coaches literally pulling down their mask to yell at their players, which defeats the actual purpose of wearing the mask. And we don't have to harp on these dudes, but like it would be great if you could just, you know, pull a Chris Mooney, just wear that consistently. So you don't have to pull it down. It seems like Roy is actually, Sticking with it, or have you seen otherwise? Um, I have. I have noticed Roy being careful, and he should be. You know, given his age and everything else, and and given, um, you know, that like it's just the right thing to do. But you're right; the chin straps are oh something else in college basketball. I noticed it watching Texas A and M. I mean, Texas Tech, Houston on Sunday. You know, Kelvin and Chris Beard, Kelvin Sampson and Chris Beard, are are close. I mean, they like they have a real relationship. Kelvin is also 65 years old, and I know that he takes this seriously because, like, he and I were texting a couple of weeks ago, and he was like, just people need to wear their mask. It's not a big deal. And so there was a moment in the Texas Tech-Houston game where there was a little – it wasn't a scuffle. It didn't elevate to the level of scuffle, but there was a moment where two players were jawing at each other, and Kelvin had to run out on the court and like make sure it didn't escalate to the level of scuffle. And then they go to a timeout, and they come back from commercial, and Kelvin and Chris like sort of walked to midcourt to, I don't know, just say, hey, everything's cool, like, you know, whatever. And Kelvin's got his mask on, and he's talking to Chris, and Chris is – like two inches from Kelvin's oh face gosh. and pulls his mask down to talk to Kelvin. And I could just see Kelvin. I, I don't want to say I saw Kelvin uncomfortable. I didn't see that. I, I imagined he was like, yo, either back up or put your mask <laughs> back on. You know, I mean, it was, he was six inches from Kelvin's face, pulling the mask down, talking to Kelvin. So, uh, you know, I, again, we're not going to make a big deal out of this every time we see it, but we are seeing it quite it's not, often. Yeah, it's I, not, like I, even, even in the champions classic, John Calipari was pretty good for it, it with most of the huddles like you'd go to the huddle and john would have his mask on but then they got in that under 15 second down by three huddle and his mask was off oh yeah i know there was actually a camera shot where they caught self and cal both chin strapping it and like self was in the was in the foreground cal was in the background and it was just listen it would be great if we could keep the mask on i actually talked to one of the uh one of the health officials at Bubbleville that was quoted in my story, she gave me a quote about the mask. I might use it in a, in a if this becomes like a like a legitimate thing where like there's like fines are coming in, I'll I'll deploy that quote in a, in a short little story there. But yeah, it, it just 
either get a mask you can you can wear like Moonies or just like you can scream through the mask. It's going to be just as loud. That's I I think they aren't doing it because it, it like starts to like pull down on the nose because when you yell you deploy your jaw and and it really you know it drops louder uh, it drops more to project your voice louder and so then it's just a whole situation they'd rather not deal with it I don't know by the way I was skeptical I really didn't think we we're getting into a mask discussion but whatever I was skeptical of these see through masks because I was like but isn't it just you know isn't it defeating the purpose if we can see you then the particles can come and go. Clearly, John Gallagher at Hartford was was deploying one yesterday against Villanova, and then he showed me the inside of it from a distance, and it does seem like it legitimately is like a proper mask there. I don't know how they pulled off that whole look, that relatively transparent look, but that's that is by a little inside college basketball. That's the mask now, if not for the the Mooney one, where the coaches want it. Apparently, it's hard to get. Like Tony Bennett was like, "Oh, you got to get this mask, man." I I don't know who makes it. I'll I'll find out for you. I was like, I don't. I'm rocking this old navy style, so I'm good with it. But this is that's like that's the thing. Remember when we were in high school and you know like pogs were the things. Our young listeners have no idea what we're talking about right now. By the way, but do you remember when pogs were like a huge deal? I don't. What? Remember, I don't. Remember, I don't. You and I are not the same age. It's true. You got a decade on me. I, I guess you would have been. I, I guess you would have missed the pogs. A lot of people know what pogs okay, can, are about. Am I going to sound ridiculous if I ask this question? What are pogs? Uh, I think I think that's a little ridiculous because I do want genuinely feel like you should have been around and young enough when they were a thing. Pogs were. How do I explain this? Keep in mind. Keep in mind. We grew up in very different places, too. Yeah, okay, how about like, this? Like, Pogs might have been a thing where you grew up, and where I grew up, it was camouflage. Just, like, wearing camouflage? Dude, you don't think people would just wear camouflage in North Mississippi? No, I'm sure they would, but, like, <laughs> when you were in seventh grade, was it wearing camouflage like a fad? No, when I was in seventh grade, we would wear Sebagos. Do you remember Sebagos? No shot. No shot at Sebago's. Let me see what pops up when I when I Google Sebago to see if you'll have, you'll have a a proper. Yep, that's a Sebago. We would wear Sebagos. Google Sebagos when you get a few. When what's you the, get, what's, get, the, what's the spelling on this thing? Uh, it looks like a S E B A G O. All right, Sebago. Sebago. There we go. Uh, what shoes? Sebagos, no socks, rolled up pants. Terrible. We did it. Absolutely terrible. The the no context Ion College Basketball Podcast tease is going to be amazing, by the way. You know what I'm going to do? How about this? Can you don't don't look up pogs. I'm not yeah. going to tell you. I want the listeners just to tweet at you. Give Parrish the best. First of all, before tell him tell him on Twitter at Gary Parish CBS. Just give me your get like when I say pogs, what do you think that is? Just try and blindly guess. Do not Google this. What do you think okay. it is? I, I would assume also shoes. Okay, there we go. That's your guess. <laughs> Listeners, go ahead and inform him. Try and don't don't link him. Don't show him images. Try and explain to him over Twitter what pogs were. What about Magic the Gathering? Was that a thing when you were younger? Magic the Gathering. Oh my god. I have no, I wasn't a magic guy, but this was like a huge, huge, huge deal. You don't remember Magic the Gathering? I have no idea what you're talking All right, about. Let's like, take if, another if, guess like, here. What do you, you think? To- what Honestly, do what do I think? It sounds like if if you were to ask me, I, I I know this isn't right, but in a different conversation, if you were to say, "What do you think about Magic the Gathering?" I would assume it's some indie rock band. Wow! So when I was, it does in, sound like it could be a band name, Magic the Gathering. I was high school class in '99. When I was in middle school, the three biggest fads, and this goes back to Tony Bennett <laughs> bragging about his damn face mask. The three biggest fads by far in Vermont when I was in high school were Pogs, Magic the Gathering, neither of which I ever got into, but there were so many people that were. And then the third one I actually did get into a little bit, and why not? No shame. Third one was Hacky Sack. You must have had people that were into Hacky Sack when you were Of course, we have Hacky Sack. Okay, so Hacky Sack transcends our our regions. Those were by far the three biggest. And Hacky Sacks were, that was a thing for like, like a good three years, and then it just died. But yeah, that was that was uh, like we going wear, to Spencer's and like picking out the designs on your hacky sacks. That was that was big. Yeah, stuff. we we definitely had that. And I remember the other thing that like people would wear, like guys, guess shirts, like 
guest jeans and mm-hmm. you'd have these striped guest shirts. Those were like a big thing. Like if you were rocking a guest shirt, you were you you were probably gonna be able to pick somebody up at the skating rink. Oh, this is taking me back. No, guest was not big with us. The big ones with us were Stussy. Do you remember Stussy? Of course, yes. Okay. And then the the um do you remember the uh I think it was and one, the and one basketball shirts where they had like the slogans on them, like the sayings, like I don't know that. I'm first. I mean, I'm, I'm sure I know that, but that was not a big. Thing. I win, you lose. Who's next? Okay, that was another. Big deal. <laughs> you don't remember these shirts? I, I don't. Oh, know. this is taking me back, man. Yeah, it, I'm almost positive they were called and one shirts. They were like, yeah, they were. They had the they had the character of like the basketball guy. I don't know, whatever. Anyway, um, this goes back to face masks, and then it goes back to you being bald. And now. <laughs> Go with it now. What if, what if Shaka in the middle uh, at halftime he's doing a interview halftime interview walk off the court and they're like uh, so coach you're up uh, uh, 37 at the break your thoughts on the first half and he said quit it now or or said. Bulls on parade. Longhorns on parade. Yeah, exactly. There we go. <laughs> he just needs to start saying Rage Against the Machine lyrics randomly in interviews if he wants to pull off this Zach De La Roca look. Ah, that, uh, that's wonderful. Yeah. Um, I got nothing else. I mean, we got I, I, Well, I just got the most random text from my mom. Okay. Uh, is, talking about Pogs? No, this is this is what my mom just texted me Ran, Wednesday morning. This is my my mom's retired. She's constantly texting. She's on. How good is Scotty Pippen Jr.? <laughs> Why is my mom asking me about Scotty Pippen Jr. on a Wednesday morning? What the hell? <laughs> why it's Why do you think my mom is asking me about Scotty Pippen Jr. on a Wednesday? I morning? don't even. Is Ooh, he, I bet is, I know. Did what he it do is. something? I don't have any idea. If he did, we're going to have to bring my mom on the Ion College Basketball Podcast to, to, to identify what and highlight what it is he did. I bet. I wonder if this is it. TMZ had pictures of Malik Beasley and Larsa Pippen at the airport holding hands. Yes. And Malik Beasley's wife what? <laughs> was Malik Beasley's wife. Like these pictures like pop on TMZ and Malik Beasley's wife was like, what is my husband doing with holding hands with Larsa Pippen in the airport? Who is a hell of a... You don't know is, Larsa Pippen? That's Scotty Pippen Jr.'s mom. Scotty Pippen's ex-wife. Okay. I'm not, I'm not up on the Pippen family, okay? Like, love me some Bulls. Huge Bulls fan. But I'm not, I'm not in the know on Larsa Pippen. Sorry. So Larsa used to be best friends with, with the Kardashians. Oh, my god! And she was married to Scotty. And they had little Scotty Jr., and then I don't know. She started hooking it with Future at some point, and her and Scotty like decided we can't do this anymore. And meantime, Malik Beasley's got his own little family, <laughs> and and his wife jumps on TMZ, and she's like, "Why is my husband holding hands with Larsa Pippen in the airport in Miami?" Like apparently, his Malik Beasley's birthday was sometime. Look at soon. this. You got this. You don't know what pogs are, and you got this whole situation on lockdown. What or is what is going on right now? I. I read everything on TMZ. I know oh everything gosh. about everything that's on TMZ. So Malik Beasley's wife is like just like scrolling TMZ, same way I do. And she's waiting for Malik Beasley to come home for his birthday. She's like planning a birthday party. And instead, he's in Miami with Larsa Pippen. It's a hell of a deal to run into in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, by the way, what's with Scotty Pippen Jr. being S-C-O-T-T-Y? Scotty. Is S O S O S C O T T I E? What's that I about? I feel I feel like I did once know the answer to this. What's that about? I feel like it was intentional. Well, clearly it was intentional. They didn't unintentionally spell his name incorrectly. I, I think it was to differentiate. I guess. Yes. But yeah, then is I he really like, a junior if the first name is spelled differently? I guess in theory it is. I just that's, it's, it's, it's I've never seen point. that before. I never seen it. be like if I do you know I'm actually Gary Parish Jr. Yes, we have talked about this. It's absurd. Like, but yes. But like, what if I spell my name with two R's? Yeah, like G-A-R-R-Y-B. Yeah. Or what if I spell, spell my name uh, S-C-O-T-T-Y, but still call myself Gary? <laughs> yeah, okay. How wild would that be? How oh confusing would that be for everybody? West Virginia plays Gonzaga at 7 o'clock on ESPN. That's uh, potentially a tremendous, tremendous game, by the way. West Virginia can win, but I don't think they will, but they have the front court to make it interesting. And then Illinois plays Baylor at... 10 o'clock on ESPN uh, in the second half of the Jimmy V. Those, uh, it is a wonderful night of hoops. And it's all, as of 12.02, they're going to play this Ravens-Steelers game at 3.40 on NBC. It's a super weird sports day. So if you have mixed in this podcast on Wednesday, 
are sincere thanks for you because there's tons of hoops and that NFL game to kind of throw us a wrench into everything. So just keep in mind with that. We'll be back on Friday. There's really... There's not a ton Thursday. UConn versus USC is probably the best game uh, out of Bubbleville, and then nothing else too enticing. Florida, BC, like that's a 9.30 game from Uncasville. I don't know. But we'll be back um, Friday morning, and we'll preview the weekend, and we'll see what else happens here. Uh, and, yeah, that's – I mean, listen, we've we've completely gone off the rails. I'm more than okay with it. Kind of can't believe you've never even heard of Pogs or Magic the Gathering. Again, just do me a favor. Can you please be honest about this? Don't Google it. I want people to try and describe to you what these things are so you can learn it that way as opposed to just like Googling it and just being like, oh, that's what it is. Because the I fact that have, you think that pogs are shoes I, is amazing. So my, my Google searches are dedicated right now to Larsa Pippen. I don't have time for pogs or Magic the Gathering. I'm Googling Larsa Pippen. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry MF and Teagle. Legend, shouts to Larnell, shouts to Malik Beasley's wife. That's a tough, that's a tough spot. Thank you guys once again. Listen to the Ion College Basketball Podcast in the middle of the dumbest pandemic of my lifetime. If you enjoy it, please tell somebody about it. If you're not subscribed, go subscribe anywhere you subscribe to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts. And we will talk to you again on Friday. Until then, take care. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.